The day of Pentecost was extremely important in the history of the church. To kind of understand what was going on here, it's important to go back and get the perspective that when God first created man, his intention was that man would have close fellowship with him. And he gave man a spirit. The scripture says in Genesis that he created man in his own image. And it says in John 4 that God is spirit. And in each side, in each inside of each one of us, we have a spirit. The scripture says we have a spirit and a soul and a body. And our spirit is that which was made in God's image. In Zechariah 12, 1, it says that he formed the spirit within man. And each one of us has a spirit. And God is three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit was something that was poorly understood by the disciples. It was poorly understood while Jesus was here. Uh, Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan. And when he was baptized in the Jordan, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says that from the time he left the Jordan River, that he was led by the Spirit of God. So the coming of the Holy Spirit into Jesus was a big deal. The coming of the Holy Spirit to the church was a very big deal. Now, when God was working through the first covenant, and when we were reading through the Old Testament, which means the Old Covenant, when we were working through that first covenant, it always seemed like that God was on the outside. God dwelt in the temple that Solomon built. There was a place that was the Holy of Holies, and God's Spirit dwelt there. And then there was a holy place outside of that, and you could walk around the temple and say, there, God's Spirit dwells with us there, and that's the sacred place that God dwelt. But in Jeremiah, God makes it clear that he did not mean for it always to be that way. And they're just outstanding verses in Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. And these are quoted again by Paul in Hebrews. And it says that God intended to make his dwelling within us. And I'm going to read those verses. So in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was as a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and in their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. So the Lord says here that he intended that there be a time that instead of the law and the requirements being external to us, that he would write his laws within us. And on our heart, he would write his laws so that he would dwell within us and what would be inside of us would be naturally the thing that the Lord wants to do, rather than us reaching out to meet some external criterion. So when he wrote this in Jeremiah, he was speaking of a time that the Spirit of God would indwell, would indwell, dwell within us. 
Now, to disciples that were roaming around with Jesus, you've just got to think the worst thing they could think of happening was that Jesus would leave. But Jesus said some absolutely astounding things. He said in John 16, verse 7 through 14, he said, it's actually better for you that I go away. Now, that would have been a hard sell for me. If I was one of the disciples, I would have challenged that, I'm sure, and said, you know, Lord, I can't see there's anything better for us than you being right here at our side, right here where we can touch your hand, right here where we can give you a hug, right here where we can see your face and hear your voice and see the fullness of God. How could there be anything better than that? But Jesus said in John 16, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So Jesus looks ahead and he tells the disciples, what's going on now isn't the best thing. It isn't the best thing for me to be with you here physically in the body. But the best thing is that I leave and I will send the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Now, you've got to think that the disciples had very little understanding of what that meant. Well, what does that mean, the Holy Spirit to come upon us? What does that mean that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within us? What does that mean? We understand, Jesus, when you're here, when we can see you, when we can touch you. We understand that. But when you talk of the Holy Spirit this way, we we don't understand that. And they had little understanding of it. But Jesus was saying something very important. He says, better that I go so that the fullness of the Spirit of God can come and dwell within you. And what would the Holy Spirit do when he came and dwelt within him? He gave him several things in this passage. But the big thing is that he said that the Holy Spirit will take from me, Jesus, and give unto you, that he will guide you into all truth, and that he will convict the world of sin. And the Holy Spirit does that very thing. He is, a, he is the great helper, the great teacher, who guides us and teaches us and pushes us in the right directions and shows us the heart of God. And in addition, he takes what is of Jesus and he hands it to us and he condemns us and convicts us for sin that's within our life. So Jesus was speaking here that the Holy Spirit would come and he said several other things. In John 15, 26, he said, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that's the second time he said, I will send the helper to you. That is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father he will testify of me. So here Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will be a spirit who testifies of me. In the previous verse, he says, he will glorify me and he will take from me and give it to you. So the Holy Spirit is a tremendous person 
And one of the ways that we can test the spirits is to see if a spirit glorifies Jesus. The scripture says that no spirit can say Jesus is Lord. You cannot speak Jesus is Lord except from the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. And when we hear anything about any other spirit, and it's marching down a different path, something that doesn't glorify Jesus, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then in John 14, 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And the Holy Spirit is great. He doesn't have any lapse in memory. Uh, he's not like someone that's 75 or 80 years old that remembers some things, but other things just pass away. I won't mention what people are having difficulty with that right now, but it's very important I have some of this written down on paper. I'll just say that. So the Holy Scripture says the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance all the things that Jesus has said. And we experience this in our daily life. We find that when we're walking, that there would be just this thing that comes to our mind, a Scripture verse. Uh, we're entering into a temptation and the feeling comes across us that the temptation is just too strong and we're, we're not resisting it well and we're about to give in and we're going to um, do something that we know is not right, but we just don't feel we can resist it. And the enemy is always there saying, it's just too much for your strength. The enemy always focuses on our strength rather than Jesus' strength. But then the Holy Spirit will come and remind us of the scripture. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation can overtake you except that is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation will provide a means of escape that you might be able to endure it. And all of a sudden that scripture comes to our mind. We're just not sure where that came from. And that's the Holy Spirit. He brings to remembrance things that Jesus has said. And that's the reason that the disciples could write the four Gospels. Because it says he will bring to your remembrance all that I have told you. And the Holy Spirit did that. He brought to remembrance all that he had said to the disciples. So they were able to put it down in the scripture. And then in John 14, 17 is a final scripture that talks about what the Holy Spirit would do. And he said, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So here Jesus describes and he says, the Holy Spirit right now is abiding with you, but he will be in you. There will be a time when the Holy Spirit is coming and the Holy Spirit will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. Now, again, if I was a disciple, I'd be going, how does that work? You know, this is like these statements that Jesus, you're saying, like you must be born again and you must be born of the spirit as well as water. And you must, uh, when you talk about spiritual things, sometimes it's very hard for us to understand, Lord. And Jesus would even comment on this and says, if you don't believe the things I tell you about the world, how will you believe the things that I tell you about the spirit? Because the spiritual things are spiritually discerned and that we need the Holy Spirit to come with our work with our spirit so that we can see the things of God. It says in John 4, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he reveals himself to us in the spiritual and he reveals from the Holy Spirit into our minds so that we can understand. So Jesus laid a pretty thick requirement here. 
And he said, now when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to do all these great things for you. And he's going to open up your um, mind to remember what I've said. He's going to dwell within you. He'll convict of sin. He'll guide you into all truth. And everything I want to say to you, he is going to pass on. And so it's tremendously important that you receive the Holy Spirit. But then that shortly after that, uh, Jesus was uh, killed on the cross. He died. He, he went into a tomb and lived there, for, died, was dead for three days and rose again. And when he came back to his disciples, he had more to say about the Holy Spirit. And when he came back, what he had to do, he said, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. I don't want you to head out on ministry. I don't want you to take up the things that are the works for you to do. I don't want you to go do those yet. I want you to wait. And I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall receive power. And he said in Acts 1.8, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if I was a disciple again, I'd be sitting there going, this is very difficult to understand. Our hearts are breaking that you're about to leave us, and you're telling us, wait here, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. We don't understand how this can be, and we don't know what we're supposed to do. And yet, we're going to trust you, but still our hearts are breaking that you're leaving. And the Lord left them. Those are some of the very final things that he told the disciples was make sure you wait here in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Now, we kind of all know the story. We, we just read the verses from Acts 2 about what happened. But I am just dead sure they had no idea the scope of what was going to hit them. Now, in the scripture, there's a couple of very special things about worshiping the Lord. And a couple of special things about the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And I want to contrast two areas in the scripture because there's one area in the scripture where the temple is dedicated under the old covenant. And what we're seeing now is in the new covenant. This is what Jesus brought. This is where he said, you know, this is my blood of the new covenant. This is a new agreement. This is based on me paying the price for your sin so that you can have access to God, so that you are born into the family of God, so that you have a birth by spirit and not just by blood, so that you can enter through the veil into the Holy of Holies where the Lord is. But in the Old Testament, it was the Old Covenant. And in Second Chronicles, they dedicated the temple in the Old Covenant. Now, the temple was a big deal. This is where the Lord's presence dwelt. And this was a special dedication. So reading 2 Chronicles 5, 11 through 14, it says that when the priests came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves with regard to divisions, without regard to divisions. And all the Levitical singers, all these people clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing at the east end of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets in unison, and when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard in one voice to praise and glorify the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and when they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, 
so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And for the longest time, I thought that that was the best example of worship and the move of the Spirit of God that was, you know, in the Bible. But this was when the Spirit of God came down and so filled the place that the 120 priests could not stand to minister because of the glory of the Lord. And that was certainly a glorious thing, but not nearly as glorious as Pentecost. Because in Pentecost, it says in Acts 1.15, there were again 120 people assembled in the upper room. And according to Revelation 5.10, it says that we are priests unto the Lord. So we have 120 priests in the new covenant assembled in the upper room. But this time when the Holy Spirit came, instead of the Holy Spirit coming in a fashion that no one could stand to minister, the Holy Spirit came in a fashion that he indwelt all the priests. And now every priest stood up and ministered and spoke in languages that their minds did not understand. And as we read through the rest of those verses in Acts 2, it says that they were speaking of the glorious deeds of the Lord. And they spoke in languages they couldn't naturally speak. And people heard them speaking in languages and said, how is it that they can do this? These people don't know these languages. How can they be talking to us about God? But they can be doing that because the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them. Not that the Holy Spirit came and filled the room, but the Holy Spirit came and filled the people. And that was a huge change from the old covenant to the new covenant. And that's why Jesus said, it's so important that the Holy Spirit come because he will indwell you on the inside and he will work with you on the inside. And from now on, your Christian life will be governed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5, and 23, it says that the fruit or the result of that Holy Spirit within us is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. That's the result of the Spirit of God within us, not the result of us pounding on ourselves, trying to create Christian virtues. And Jesus knew that. In Galatians 3, 3, Paul says, how is it that now you, you who started with the Spirit of God, do you seek to perfect yourself in the flesh? And the flesh is our own efforts. The flesh is I can do it and I can get the glory. That's the flesh. And Paul writes and says, don't you remember the power that comes upon you with the Holy Spirit? How the Holy Spirit changes you from the inside. How the Holy Spirit changes your desires how the Holy Spirit changes the directions that you want to go, how he brings real love and joy and not love and joy that's something you ought to do, but love and joy that springs from what's naturally inside of you. So Jesus knew that this was the key. He knew the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was the key to the Christian's life. He knew that all things that had to do with their understanding of God were going to come from the revelation of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So Jesus meant for us to have the Holy Spirit. He meant for the Holy Spirit to be our helper, our friend, a confidant, someone who guides and urges us on. It says of the Holy Spirit, he'd give us power. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? 
And Jesus was making clear the Holy Spirit is not for some few. It's not just for the first apostles or the first 120, but the Holy Spirit is to be poured out on all flesh. And Joel brought this up over and over, that there was to be a pouring out of the Holy Spirit that changed people's hearts from within. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, understanding groanings and groanings with too, that are too deep for utterance, that he works with our spirit to reveal things to us, but also to intercede to the Father on our behalf so that we can work, that we can live according to the will of God. So Jesus meant for every believer to have the Holy Spirit, and he certainly had a grand entrance at Pentecost. Pentecost was the grand entrance of God dwelling within us. And Jesus is calling out to us today saying, invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Invite him to have full control. Give him all you know of yourselves, and you will see how he reveals me unto you and how you are changed, because the Bible says we are to be changed into the image of Christ, into his likeness, and that the Holy Spirit works that change within us. So he says the Father will not turn down anyone who asks for the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you today, take the message of Pentecost. The message of Pentecost is that God now no longer dwells far off. He does not even dwell in bodily form walking in the midst of us. But now God will dwell within us, that we fellowship with him the way it was meant to be. Jesus said to know the Father and the Son is eternal life. And he means for his spirit to be within us so that we would truly know him. So I encourage you today, talk with the Holy Spirit, invite him in. Let Pentecost come into your life, that we as Christians be empowered the way Jesus was empowered to walk the works that God meant for us to do from the foundation of the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been gracious to us and that your plan is above all plans. You know what you're doing better than we know anything. And we ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit dwell within us in fullness, that we not grieve him, Lord, but that he dwell within us in freedom, and that he guide us and lead us in your ways. I pray your special blessing on those who are sick now across the world, especially for Pastor Miguel, for those who have suffered difficulties financially, mentally, physically, Lord. We ask that your blessing be upon them. And Father, we ask that your hand stay this thing that is on our nation, Lord, and that you call it back in and pull it in by your reins, Father, that those not, may not suffer any more than they have to. We ask all of these things in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.